In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, this psalm actually is uh, in Hebrew. Each psalm actually has a title. The title of this psalm in Hebrew says a psalm of David, which means the author of the psalm is David the prophet. But the title is different in the Vulgate. Vulgate is the Latin translation of the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. So the Vulgate version says, a psalm of David when the tabernacle was completed. Uh, the Vulgate was translated by Saint Jerome from the Greek Septuagint to the Latin. And according to the Vulgate, this title appears uh, from the title it appears that in the time of the second temple, which was built by Solomon after the death of David the prophet, this psalm was sung on the eighth or the concluding day of the Feast of the Tabernacle. On the eighth day or the last day of the Feast of Tabernacle. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, the title is a psalm of David at the going out or exodus of the tabernacle, when they leave the tabernacle. So according to this title, the Septuagint, this psalm was sung on the occasion of the holy feast of the tabernacle. Then when they go out of the tabernacle, when the people live in the tabernacle to remember in tents to remember how God led them in the wilderness of Sinai and then they go back to their houses during which the people rejoiced in the harvest usually the week of tabernacle comes with the feast of the harvest particularly of olives and grapes and praying to the Lord to send rain that's why this song is about thunder, thunder storm. And according to the Talmud, it is a song of the Pentecost, and it is now used in the synagogue on the first day of that festival, the festival of um, Pentecost. This song is pure praise with no other emphasis. All of it praising the Lord. It is designed to set forth the majesty and glory of God, to reveal to the world the glory of God, especially as manifested in a thunderstorm. Usually, thunderstorm terrifies the people. Usually, thunderstorm makes the people afraid and worry. But David, when he saw the thunderstorm, actually he reflected on the glory and majesty of God. And uh, was this psalm was evidently composed in the view of such an exhibition of his power and glory. That's why in this psalm the name of the Lord was repeated 18 times. 18 times. And the word or the phrase, the voice of the Lord was repeated seven times. Seven times. He did not contemplate the wonder and beauty and variety 
of nature, simply for their own sake. So when he saw the thunder, he did not just reflect on the beauty of the nature for their sake, no. David spoke of all of this as a manifestation of the power of God and his glory and his goodness. So the thunder was to him the voice of God. And the nature was to David the revelation of God. Every time he sees the nature, he sees the nature as revealing to us who God is. And in the thunder, he as if he heard the voice of the Lord. This psalm shows what feelings people should have in a violent storm. Usually in a violent storm we are afraid. But this psalm actually shows what feeling should we have when there is a violent storm. They should lift up the soul in worship for the great God and total confidence in God who has power to control nature. So in the midst of all terrors of the storm, the mind of David the psalmist was calm. The effect of it, of the storm, was to lead him to trust in the power of God, not to be afraid, and to fill his soul with admiring tender views of God, of him. That's why we do not need to fear storms of nature when we know that they are under the absolute control of God. If this fearful storm raged without control, if they were independent of God, if they were restrained by no laws, if the thunder rolled and the lightning played by mere chance accident, we might well tremble. But God is in control. So we should not fear the storm of the age. This psalm is a short one, 11 verses. Uh, verse 1 and 2, a call to worship the worthy God. 3 to 9, the awesome voice of the Lord. Verse 10, the Lord as the reigning eternal king. And verse 11, God's graces upon his church. This psalm operates in the third hour of the Agbeah. Why? When the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples, the people felt like a thunder. There was a thunder. And this psalm is explaining the glory of God through the thunderstorm. So the church, every day in the third hour, when we remember the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, and we remember how it descended like a thunder on them, so we pray this psalm in the third hour of the Agbe. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. So he is saying, give to the Lord Almighty One. What to give him? Glory and strength. Glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So, every strike of thunder was interpreted by David as a call to him. Call to him to do what? 
call to David and call to all of us to give glory and honor to the Lord. So when there is a thunder, it's called to us to give glory and honor to the Lord. And he said, O mighty ones, David speaks to the mighty ones of this earth and warns them to look away from themselves unto the Lord to give him glory and honor. So, though may consider themselves mighty, but they should recognize their obligation to the Lord God. Even if I'm mighty, God is mightier. And I should give God glory and honor. But who are the mighty ones? Some said, these are the heavenly beings, like the angels and archangels, counted as the children of God. And also, those who minister in the temple, because they are the shadow of the heavenly being. But according to the church fathers, the mighty ones refers to the Christian who came from all nations and all tribes to present their life, to offer their life as a sacrifice of love to God. Those whom the Lord commanded to call God their Father, saying, Our Father who art in heaven. Others says, Mighty ones may be the heathen of the nations, the non-believers who had forgotten God and became worshippers of false God. And now David is warning them and inviting them to return back to the Lord and to give glory and honor to the Lord. Give him glory, strength, majesty, and might. As if he is saying, acknowledge God as the God of glory. Learn from the manifestation of the power displayed in this thunderstorm how great is the power and glory of God. So the prophet tells us what sort of sacrifice we should offer to God. We should offer him a sacrifice of glory and honor, meaning our words and our works ought to glorify and to honor God. Everything we do should be for his glory and his honor. Give God, give God's name the due glory. And definitely God's name is due a lot of glory. Therefore, it is right to call the mighty ones to worship him. In verse 2, worship the Lord. This exhortation is made particularly in view of the manifestation of his power in the storm. God who can put forth such power as it is displayed in the thunderstorm, deserves worship, reverence, and praise. Then he said, worship him in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. Means in his glorious sanctuary. In an image borrowed from the splendid vestments of the priest and divides. When you study in the book uh, of Second Chronicles and also in Exodus, 
you will find the vestments of the priests and Levites are very beautiful, very pretty. Why? Not to honor them, but that is the glory due to the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So this is generally explained as an exhortation to worship God in beautiful vestments with all the accessories of a beautiful ceremonial. But what the benefit of I have beautiful vestments but the heart from within is not beautiful in the eyes of God. That's why First Peter chapter 3 verse, verse 4 Peter spoke about the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So when he, say, he said worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness refers to the state of heart, the internal ornament with which we should approach God, refers to a holy and pure state of mind, that beauty of appropriateness of the soul which consists in holiness and purity. According to St. Basil the Great, God's holy sanctuary is the one holy church, not the synagogue of the Jews, whose house is the house of the Jews because of their sins is left for them desolate, to be replaced by the church of the New Testament, where we encounter God and worship Him by the Spirit and truth. But St. Basil continues and says, Many in the church who pray while their minds are preoccupied with vanities of the world would not be in God's holy sanctuary. So when we worship God, we need to worship Him in spirit and truth. St. Augustine said God's holy sanctuary is heaven to which our heart is lifted while still being on earth, as we pray in the third hour of the Akbaya, whenever we stand in your holy sanctuary, we are considered standing in heaven. Then from verse 3, start to speak about the voice of the Lord. While he was hearing the voice of the thunder, he started to speak about the voice of the Lord and repeated the voice of the Lord seven times. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. So David now explains why he invited us to give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And the reason? Because the voice of the Lord has a wonderful influence on the elements of the nature, as well as on the spiritual fabric of the church. And this verse 3 is the first of seven descriptions of the voice of the Lord in this psalm. Each one of these seven descriptions emphasizes the idea of the strength and authority of God expressed through his voice. Then he described God's action on the waters. The voice of the Lord, already identified with the thunder in many areas, not only in Psalm 29, 
but also in Psalm 18. So the voice of the Lord is suddenly heard roaring and rumbling in the height of heaven. The voice of the Lord is over the water. Which water? The water is stored in the clouds that float on high in the air. Hippolytus of Rome said, What voice is this? It is, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. On the waters of baptism, we listen to the voice of the mighty God proclaiming our sonship in him because in Jesus all of us became the children of God. That's why the psalm is read in the rite of the liturgy of baptism when the priest stirs the water by the cross after pouring the myron in the baptismal font. Maybe the deacons remember this. At the end of the liturgy of the consecration of the water of baptism, after pouring the myron, then Abuna holds a cross in his hand and then he starts to stir the water in the likeness of the cross, like this. And while he is saying, he recites many psalms. One of the psalms, the voice of the Lord is above many waters. And this is the first of seven descriptions, as I told you, each one emphasizes the idea of strength and authority of God expressed through his voice. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, associates the voice of God with thunder when Israel heard from God at Mount Sinai. Also, there are two passages in the book of Job clearly make this connection. Job 37, 4 to 5, and Job 40, verse 9. The strength and authority of God's voice is also connected to his word. If the voice of God has such power, then the word uttered with the voice has the same strength and authority. And according to St. Augustine, what are the voice of the Lord above many waters? What are these waters? St. Augustine says, these waters are the Gentiles who received the voice of the Lord, his word. When our Lord Jesus Christ made his voice heard through the Gentiles, filled with awe, he turned them to his statutes and made his dwelling place among them. Then in verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord is powerful, a thunder in the effect of it chose. And so in the gospel, when it comes not in word only, gospel is not just words, no, but united with the power of God to the conversion and salvation of souls. Every time we read the Bible, It's different than reading any other book because the Holy Spirit anoint each word and each word in the Bible when it reaches my heart comes with power like thunder. St. Paul said about the word of the Lord living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the word of Christ 
when Christ was on earth was with power, as we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 32. We know from the gospel that the voice of Jesus, when the soldiers came to arrest him, and he said, I am he, the voice of the Lord knocked the soldiers backward. Also, the efficacy of preaching is conveyed in words of spirit and of power. As St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I did not come to you with the excellence of speech, but the power of the Spirit. Then in verse 5 he said, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars are the largest and deepest rooted, longest lived trees in the world. The root is very deep and the height is very high and they live very long. So the cedars of Lebanon, which were well known for their size and strength, yet the voice of the Lord is so strong that he splinters these mighty trees and are broken (coughs) and brought down. Some compare this image, the image of the cedar, to the prideful, haughty, lofty sinners who are broken and brought down and laid low by the voice of the Lord. St. Augustine said the voice of the Lord humbles the proud in the brokenness of heart. The Lord, by repentance, shall break them that are lifted on high by the splendor of earthly nobility. Also, some think it may also be in reference of the fragrance of cedar. Cedar has a beautiful fragrance. Those people who are entirely devoted to pleasure and gluttony, so the fragrance here is a symbol of pleasure and gluttony. Or the cedar of Lebanon in reference to the dynasty of leaves and endurance. The dynasty of leaves and endurance represent the disobedient, the persistent, the stubborn, and the adamant in error. All such cedar will be broken to pieces by the preaching of the gospel and brought down to Christian humility and to the bringing forth fruits worthy of repentance. St. Jerome says, For the Lord Christ was baptized while the haughty and proud demon had been destroyed and broken in the pit of perdition. So the cedar here, according to Jerome, represent the demons. Demons broken by the Lord like the cedars and the calf of Lebanon scattering in the air their bits and pieces away. Verse 6 He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild oaks. So what does this mean? Syrian is the name of Mount Hermon 
uh, among the Sidonians. So the Sidonians called Mount Harmon Syria, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 9. So the general meaning here, the voice of the Lord will not only break the cedars of Lebanon, but even tear up entire cedars from the roots and make them bound like so many calves. And not only the calves, but even the mountains themselves will be made to bound like a young wild oaks. Bound means like jumping, jumping. So the mountain will be broken into small pieces and these small pieces will be jumping like a young wild oaks. And some say the meaning is that the gospel will not only break the men, however proud and lofty they may be, but will bring them down to the humility of Christianity and will entirely detach them from all all earthly affection and bring them to a holy life. So breaking the mountain and breaking uh, the cedar like calf means uh, they will be detached from any earthly uh, 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 attachment. So the preaching of the gospel will not only humble the powerful and the wise, but it will break them into pieces and make them as small as calf. Remember when the people worshipped the golden calf after they came out of uh, Egypt and Moses when descended from the mountain he actually broke uh, the, the golden calf uh, like became like dust also the calf may represent Christ who was not only humble as a young calf but also offered himself as a sacrifice so St. Augustine says, when their proud exaltation has been cut off, he, Jesus, will lay them low after the imitation of his own humility, who like a calf was led to the slaughter by the nobility of this world. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. So, David, in verse 7, describes the rolling thunder that not only shakes the cedar and makes the huge trees of Lebanon and Syrian skip like a calf or a young ox, but it tears apart the cloud and cuts out paths for the flames of fire. So, in the thunder, you can see like flames of fire. So the meaning that the voice of the Lord is the preaching of the gospel. And the divided flames of fire, because the Holy Spirit sent various rays in various ways through the heart of men. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended like divided tongues as of fire. That's how the Holy Spirit appeared on Pentecost. 
So by His Holy Spirit, the voice of the Lord ignited the fire of divine love. As the Lord said, I came to send fire on the earth. The fire is swallow and divides the fire of lust in us. St. John Chrysostom said, by fire, fire is quenched. By the fire of the Spirit, the fire of lust are quenched. So, there are two fires. One fire will be ignited and the other one will be quenched. The fire of love to God will be ignited, of lust will be quenched. St. Peter the Great, he said, the voice of the Lord on the great day of judgment, in his second coming, divide the flames of fire in righteous, but the light will remain. In the wicked, what remains is the burning heat, yet with no light. So the righteous will have the light. The wicked will have the burning heat with no light. And the word divides here means discern or separate, like in the day of judgment, separates the righteous from the wicked. So in these verses, from verse 5 to 7, the psalmist talked about the storm that blows on the mountain of Lebanon, extending hundreds of miles north and south in two separate regions. In north, there are the valuable trees of cedar, and this symbolizes hotness. What about the south? In verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So, verse 8 and 9, the storm, after moving north, now moving towards the wilderness of Arabian desert, east of the mountain bordering Lebanon, and shakes the whole wilderness. So the voice of the Lord shakes the whole wilderness. And the word shake, in Hebrew, analogy to a woman in labor. Shakes the wilderness signifies the preaching of the gospel among the Gentiles and how the word of God shook their hearts. The Gentile world may be compared to a wilderness. Wilderness, there is no water of the Holy Spirit. And it's called the wilderness of the people. And the inhabitants of it are ignorant because they are not believers, barren, unfruitful. But after the conversion, this wilderness will turn into a fruitful land. So the gospel being sent there has been the means of shaking the mind of many with a strong and saving conviction, which made them tremble and cry out, what shall we do to be saved? Like on the day of Pentecost, they went to Peter and asked him, what should we do to be saved? St. Jerome said, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The wilderness here refers to the church, which has been before the church, before Christ was childless, barren. Then by preaching Christ, this wilderness was shaken. The time of its labor came to give birth in a single day to a whole nation. And after being called the wilderness of Qadish, now it is the wilderness of holiness, carrying virtues, 
giving birth to deer, namely to saints in groups and multitudes, to kill serpents on earth, Satan, despising their venom, while roaming around preaching the gospel of Christ, or saying, Glory be to God. So in verse 9, he said, The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. The deer here represents the believers, give birth to virtues, and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory. Makes the deer give birth, helping them in their difficult time of giving birth, through which they could never pass, had not God mercifully helped them through it. And strips the forest bare means, according to the Hebrew, will open the woods. The meaning that nothing will be hidden or concealed from God. For God penetrates everything, act upon everything, not only on animals, but on plants and trees and men too. Therefore he follows up in his holy temple, everyone says glory. All creatures in the universe, all of them, not only human beings, because the universe is God's temple, and all will praise and glorify him. So David thought of how thunder and lightning attract attention and give sense of awe. This sense of glory is even more appropriately given to the Lord at his temple. There in the church, the people of God do not tremble in fear of the storm, but in awe of their great God, and all of them say glory. St. Augustine said, And in his church, all born again to an eternal hope. All are born again to eternal hope. And praise God, each for his own gift, which he has received from the Holy Spirit. Some say the thunder reveals the beast of the forest, which hurry in terror to leave their dens and hiding place. When there is thunder in the forest, the beasts will run away from their hiding place, and then the, the beast can be easily seen and hunted. So the voice of the Lord reveals the secrets of the Holy Scripture and also proclaim to us our hidden depth and will reveal as well as the evil enemy like the wild beast and give strength to us to fight the enemy. Verse 11, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as a king forever. So David saw the storm bring a downpour of rain so made him think of the flood during the time of Noah. And the flood was a remarkable demonstration of the power and authority of the voice of God. So the meaning of verse then, God is enthroned upon the storm, means he presides over that which produces anxiety and fear in our heart. This storm or this flood are not without purpose. 
It is not a result of a chance or fate or accident. No. It is not produced by mere physical laws. No. It is not without restraint or without a ruler. For the Lord presides over all, and all this may be regarded as his throne. Then he said, the Lord sits as king forever. This should make the mind calm. We trust that the Lord sits as a king over thunder, over difficulties, over storm, over uh, persecution. So this makes the mind calm when the wind groans and the thunder rules. The mind turns calmly to the thought that God is enthroned upon the cloud. God presides over all that make this widespread terror and fear and commotion. He will reign forever and ever. God is the king and the judge of the world at the time of the flood. And he will sit and remain king forever and ever. So verse 10 agrees with the main purpose of the psalm. To call upon the son of mighty men to ascribe strength and glory to God. Verse 11, the last verse. The Lord will give his strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. It's a beautiful conclusion to this psalm. So David here considered earth is uh, shattered by the strength and authority of God. But in the midst of this storm, he recognized that God brought the same strength to his people. So this strength to the earth will actually make the earth tremble, but to the people empower them. So the storm passes, but God is the eternal king, the judge of the world, the guardian of his people. Great is his power. To them, God will speak peace. He will bless, the Lord bless his people with peace. They have nothing to fear. So the power of God may come as destructive storm or as a flood upon the creation and upon those who rebel against him. But in the same time, the people of God be confident that he will bless them with peace and the strength of God will come to them as a comfort and not as a storm. St. Augustine says, for the Lord will give strength to his people, fighting against the storm and whirlwind of this world. For the peace of this world he has not promised them. He promised them heavenly peace. This psalm ends with confirmation to us that the storm will have to come to an end. For God, who confirmed his love for his church at the time of affliction, will grant the church his strength, blessing, and peace. And if, if the, the church delivers herself in his hand, submit to him, and use the voice of the Lord and his promises as support and salvation to the church. And some commentator mentioned that the repetition of the words, the voice of the Lord, seven times, significant and refers to the seven uh, sacraments of the church. This concludes actually 
Psalm 29. Glory be to God forever and ever.